is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 508, recorded on Tuesday, December the 1st, 2020. <sighs> welcome to the show, everyone. Jason, welcome to the winter wonderland we now live in. And December yeah. 1st. December 1st. Remember, remember the 1st of December? That's not right at all. No. But it goes with pretty much any date. <laughs> yeah, almost, almost all of them. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it snowed. Overnight, we woke up to a couple inches of snow this morning, which isn't that much, but it was kind of sloppy out there. I don't know if you had to go out in it much today, but I did. I was all over the place. Yeah, Jasper and I uh, brushed off the car in the morning. It was uh, hmm. a grand adventure. I bet it was. He must have enjoyed that. He did. But I don't feel too bad because, you know, this kind of weather is appropriate for the time of year it is in the place that we live. So that's good, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> you got to suck it up, my friend. It's going to be snowing between now and then. That's right. Whenever then comes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to the program, everyone. We are here, of course, to talk about the last two episodes of The Walking Dead World Beyond. And once we do that, the season's over. So there's no more Walking Dead after this week for uh, a few months until the end of February. Um, but we have those two episodes to talk about. And before we do that, I want to just take a quick minute to... Look at the ratings from last week's episode. I was hoping actually we'd have the ratings for the season finale of World Beyond um, today already, but I don't believe they've come out yet, so we'll have to get caught up on that next time. But if we take a look back at last week, we had Fear the Walking Dead episode number seven. It was called Damage from the Inside, in case you forgot, and it got 1.09 million viewers. Well, that's all right. I mean, it's all right, but it represents a new low for the show. Eh. I'm, I'm choosing to look at it positively. All it's right. a million. Yeah, it's just over a million. Yeah. Walking Dead World Beyond, episode eight, The Sky is a Graveyard, got 630,000. That's lower. <laughs> yeah. Also <laughs> a new low for that show, and it's just been plummeting down, right? It started with uh, well over a million at the beginning of the season. It immediately dropped off in the second episode, but... We've been sub 1 million for a while now, but 630,000 is not a lot of people. Uh, no. And it's only two seasons, right? That's right. Like, so they'll just power through and get through it and be done. I mean, they pretty much have to. It's not like they can cancel this. They have the season two story laid out. It is heavily connected and involved with uh, the CRM, of course. And it's going to basically provide a lead up to the Rick Grimes movies from what we're hearing. So they, it's not like they can just cancel it, but you know, if the numbers keep dropping at this rate, we'll have 50,000 people watching it by the, by the end of season two. And, wow. uh, that doesn't seem like very many. No, it does not. It does not. Okay. So let's move on and get into our discussion of the first of the two episodes this week, the walking dead world beyond Season one, episode nine, called The Deepest Cut. And where should we start here, Jason? We, this one, you know, a good portion of this episode focuses on Elton, what he's doing out there looking for Silas. And uh, why, why don't we start there and go through their sort of, uh, you know, go through Elton's 
plot line, I guess, in this one. Yeah, sure. Yeah, he uh, he stumbles across uh, what's his eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, he's looking for Silas, but he finds Percy instead. Yes. Yeah, and Percy talks to him, which he, I think is uh, kind of. It reminded me of that. What was that movie that uh, uh, Daniel Radcliffe was in? Oh, Swiss Army Man. Yeah, that was it. Re- kind of reminded me of that. The whole thing. It, uh, but o- only nowhere near as good. Uh, yeah, I liked Swiss Army Man a lot, and. I, without getting into it too much, you're right. This is a little bit reminiscent of that. Um, but Elton finds Percy. Percy is injured. He's been shot in the shoulder. And as you were just saying, he spends most of the episode unconscious with Elton dragging him around. Yet Elton has these like hallucinatory conversations with him. Yeah. And you'd think Elton, uh, he had some medical knowledge like he knew how to or that to bandage him up right but obviously he didn't know to put him in the recovery position because you don't just leave somebody unconscious lying on their back that's a good way to you know throw up and asphyxi- asphyxiate or swallow your tongue or what have you so roll them on their side you know is the that recovery position that's actually known as the recovery position yes it is okay so roll and someone should, on their side yeah if you see somebody unconscious uh, uh you know passed out what have you you know, stoned out of their friggin' gourd and they are lying on their back, you know, be a, be a good buddy and roll them on their side. Roll them over. All right. All just, right. Just in case, you know, if you throw up, it doesn't just go up and then back in your mouth and you choke on it because <laughs> right. people have died that way, right? Plenty. Yeah. Uh, plenty, plenty. And, uh, yeah. And just, you know, roll them on their side. It's a nice thing to do. It is a nice thing to do. Well, Elton just leaves them lying there. So they end up in this, this, um, open field sort of area and, some zombies start approaching. Now, I was going to say, before we get into the zombies, I, I, even though at first I thought the conversations he was having with unconscious Percy were a little bit weird, I kind of got used to it and I didn't mind it because it was the, it was all a manifestation of Elton's like stress and fear and guilt and everything for all the emotions he was having for everything that's happened recently with the group, I think. Mm -hmm. And it was a good way to kind of get it out there because otherwise Elton was on his own and you, it's, I'm not saying a solo performance like that. He wouldn't be able to pass or portray all those emotions, but I think it's a lot easier when you have someone to converse with and bounce dialogue around with, right? Well, you need it. It, It's not like a novel where you can hear the inner monologue of somebody. Uh, You have to have, uh, you know, an outer monologue. And in order to do that, what better way to do that than an imaginary friend? I mean, you know, it's been done left, right, and center. I mean, look at, uh, uh, you know, there's so many, Dexter for one, um, uh, what was the movie about the, uh, Six Feet Under, that HBO show, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the father was, was dead, but he kept showing up. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a time honored tradition, let's call it, where if you need to talk to somebody and there's no one else around, imagine up a friend. That's true. And I'm not saying that it would be impossible to do it just as a single actor, but, um, you know, it takes some chops. It takes the best actors in the world, I think, to do that. Not that Elton isn't one of them or may someday be one of them, but I think this was an appropriate kind of writing technique for, uh, for this episode. You know, even if you do have chops, it's still a very handy device to have. Like, look at Wilson in Castaway. Oh, true. I mean, without without Wilson, Tom Hanks would just be this guy walking around for a while. In a loincloth. Right? But, but Lu- Wilson was 
an actual character. You know, you have to give it to Tom Hanks and the, uh, uh, the you know, the director, producers, writers and stuff to, to make Wilson a tragic character that made you very, I'm spoiling a movie here. I'm sorry, but it's an old one and a good one. Uh, you know, making Wilson, uh, his, the loss of Wilson, very sad. I was sad when Wilson left. It, it's a fantastic movie, Castaway. Yeah. Uh, I've actually watched it recently because we introduced the kids to it. And um, we, we, I mean, I re, re-realized, I realized again how much, <laughs> how much I loved it, how great it was. And they liked it too. So it's, it's fantastic. And the whole Wilson thing is, is amazing. You can't even imagine that story without Wilson now, right? He's yeah. all, he's a freaking volleyball. Yep. So, all good stuff. Very, very good. Uh, anyways, back to Elton. Um, he, these zombies are approaching and he's talking to Percy and I thought they did a pretty, another pretty cool thing here where Elton has to kill these zombies, but they sort of go into slow motion for a bit or it felt to me like we were seeing things as Elton is perceiving it in a way, right? Like he's talking to Percy, but he's not really talking to him. His brain is working a lot faster than we can see in the visuals. And therefore the zombies slow down before they get to him and he has to actually fight them off. I thought it, that was pretty well done too. It was, it was, you know, not, not too bad. Um, but then he ends up killing them and saving himself and of course, unconscious Percy and dude, he used the fishing rod, like the <laughs> tow cable on a snowspeeder to wrap up a couple of zombies and take them out. I mean, that fishing rod, it wasn't just for fishing and it was actually put to pretty good use in taking out some zombies. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll grant him that. And I'm glad that they, they stepped up with the, with the fishing rod to show its actual, you know, beneficial use. Because as a fishing rod, it's kind of laughable, but as a, uh, an air speeder, uh, cause it's an air speeder, not a snow speeder, right? They had to adapt them to the cold. Sorry. I know, but in Hoth, in Empire on Hoth, they were known as snow speeders, at least when I was growing up. Yeah, I know. But anyway, the tow cable on a snow speeder, uh, or air speeder, what have you, uh, you know, it's a, that's a pretty good, uh, you know, tool to have in your back pocket if you need to. Uh, if you if you can't shoot something or if the armor's too thick, what you do is you knock them down and then you shoot them because when you knock them down, apparently their armor isn't as thick. It explodes you know, what, immediately yeah. when you shoot them, yeah. Yeah, as soon as they're knocked down, if you shoot them, they, they explode. So uh, it really compromises their armor to be, you know, face down in the snow. True, I guess. Um, si- or, uh, Elton also smacks one of the zombies with Silas's big wrench, which he has. Of course, he's carrying it with him to take back to Silas. Uh, so there you go. Elton gets, I believe his first actual zombie kills. Yeah, it's good stuff. I mean, and he's protecting someone else. I think this was a, uh, a nice moment for him. Cause you know, when those zombies were coming, you know, what are your choices? Run? You're dragging a person. You're yeah. not going to run very far or very fast nope. or fight. You know, it's uh, it's fight or flight and he chose fight. And I think it was, uh, probably a good choice overall. I, I think it was the only appropriate one in this situation, but he, it took him nine episodes, but Elton got some zombie kills. Good for him. And yep. they were entertaining to watch. Um, the only other thing I wanted to say about these guys here is that, uh, Elton mentions again, how hopeless he's feeling because he figures they'll all be extinct in 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, which plays into the greater plot as we will see, 
Um, but Percy convinces him otherwise by saying that you have to save people who can change the world. <laughs> so you've got to, Elton, you've got to stay alive so you can save other people who might do even bigger things and re-contribute or, you know, contribute to the re-emergence of society. Yeah, but, you know, change the world is not necessarily a good thing, right? No, Look that's true. Look at Anakin true. Skywalker, to bring it back to Star Wars, if I may. <laughs> uh, you know, he was uh, prophesized to be, uh, you know, to bring balance to the Force. And if all the Jedis are all good and there's no Sith Lord or uh, any kind of Darth kicking around, what do you think that balance means, you bunch of morons? Right. You know, <laughs> that balance means evil. Yeah. You Dumbass. Dumbass. If there's an abundance of good, the balance is evil. Yeah. So that's not such a great prophecy. So yeah, let's let's train this guy. He's supposed to bring balance to the force. Um, maybe <laughs> maybe think about that a little bit more. Guys. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, in this case, though, Percy's trying to say, you know what? Save save yourself. You can then save people that will hopefully bring a good balance to the to the world. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, you know, there needs to be more balance because the balance between living and the walking dead uh, are, it's out of balance at the moment. So we need to bring more living people in. So bringing balance at this point is probably a good thing. Yeah, it's way out of whack at this point. So yeah. let's focus on that. All right, let's go over to Huck for now. So we already know that Huck is a double agent, right? We're watching this episode as the audience knowing that that's what's happening. Yet the characters she's with, uh, Felix and um, Hope and Iris, they don't know this. So it's one of these situations where the audience knows more than the characters. And, threes company. Uh, that's right, a threes company situation. Yep. And the first thing that happens is Huck's driving, it's night, everyone's asleep, and she purposefully crashes the truck. So they find this big old house to spend the night in. On the walk there, they have to fight off a bunch of zombies. And Huck... Although we don't know this at the time, we find it out later in the episode, she purposefully slashes Felix's ankle to injure him. So, and her whole motivation is to separate the group so she can move on with the asset, whoever yes. that is, yeah. <laughs> which we don't know yet at this point. Um, once they move into this house to take some shelter, Iris starts to become suspicious of Huck that you know, maybe she's not who she says she is. And... Her main justification for feeling this, as far as I could tell, was that Huck wants to continue without Felix because he's injured. And Iris thinks that's not something she would ever do, so she must be up to something. Right. I think this was a little weak, to be honest with you. I did not buy Iris's all of a sudden out of the blue suspicion of Huck. I think the show should have seeded in little bits of mistrust throughout the season. And maybe it was there and I missed it, but I felt this. I felt like this was out of left field for Iris. Uh, yes, but I didn't notice it or care at the time. Uh, I think that a lot. <laughs> I think maybe that be, that's your uh, overall assessment of the show. <laughs> well, but... you know, to be honest, and I was going to talk about this a little bit later, uh, you know, you've been talking about the fact that it's getting a little bit better every episode. Uh, I didn't mind this episode as much as uh, past episodes. And the next one that we get to that we're going to talk about, I mind it even less. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give it, uh, I'm going to, I'm cutting it some slack at this point. Uh, and you know, last week we talked about me cutting it a little bit of slack. Uh -huh. um, now, now I'm going to cut it a little bit more 
and we'll talk about it in the uh, the finale episode, but uh, yeah, a little bit of slack is going to be given. But in this case, I, I didn't. I I agree with you that it did come out of left field, but there's. I, I kind of look forward to left field because everything else is telegraphed so far in advance that uh, something coming out of left field is almost a breath of fresh air. Mm. That's an interesting take on it. For for me, um, I agree. The show's getting a little bit better. This episode. Again, for the most part, a little bit better. And yeah, spoiler alert, I thought the finale was probably the best episode of the, of the season. Um, this, but for me in this case, I didn't buy it. This was like the one part of this episode that I, that I wasn't on board with. I'm like, suddenly Iris is suspicious because of this one thing, you know, um, it doesn't, it didn't make any sense to me. I feel like if she'd been given her the side eye for the previous eight episodes, maybe Iris would have a leg to stand on here and be like, you know what? I don't really trust her. Or if there was something else about their relationship that, that wasn't on the up and up, I I think I could buy it maybe, but this just didn't really work for me. And I'm like, now you don't trust her. Like why now? Why now? I didn't understand. Yeah. I mean, it happens, right? I guess you've known somebody for 10 years and they do something that's suspicious and all of a sudden you think they're a double agent. <laughs> I guess, I guess. You know, I, it I happens guess to me does. all the time. <laughs> right. Especially when they replace my loved ones with uh, exact replicas that aren't actually my loved ones. I mean, Sorry, is that I shouldn't, a, I, I shouldn't make fun. That's an actual disorder that is very rare, but it happened, happens and is serious. I'm, I'm going to back away from that. Okay. Yeah. You don't want to uh, badmouth anything like that, but. No, but you know, if they're just genuine double agents, I get suspicious. Yeah, I guess so. Well, right. I don't know. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes I, I, don't you think that your wife is actually secretly working for the family down the street? You know, I don't want to go too far <laughs> well, and say she's, you know, a, a spy from another country, but, you know, just working to further the advancement of whatever that family down the street is. Well, I do now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got to keep your eyes open. Shit, man. Right? All right. So, oh. you know, they might have a better barbecue. I have no idea. Oh. All because of the work that she's done. Everybody has a better barbecue than me, man. That's not a, <laughs> that's not a, a uh, that's not a thing. My barbecue is a pile of crap. It's not how hot it gets. It's how you use it. Oh, so I've been told. Yeah. Also, that's what she said. Yes. So, uh, I didn't buy that part. The other thing that happens is that Hope cracks the CRM code. She <laughs> okay. cracks the code, Jason. And if there's one thing that I thought you were going to be upset about, it's this. Well, again, it's telegraphed, you know, for like four episodes now. Obviously, she's looking at a sheet of random numbers and, uh, you know, looking at a sheet of random numbers for long enough, and that long enough is, turns out to be a couple of days while you're traveling, uh, you just kind of intuit what the code is. But that's not they, what the show did. They, there there no. was more to it in the text of the show. So... Yeah, I, again, you know, the fact that this code existed meant that it was to be cracked. It's it's Chekhov's, you know, code. Yeah, of course it is. They they can't find it and then do nothing with it. Yeah. Uh, turns out the code was coordinates on a map, uh, you know, which is a thing. <laughs> and the what she di- what she did is taking individual letters from the town names that the coordinates uh pointed to and it spelled a message. And the reason she did this is because 
Earlier in the episode, Hope says to her, I just wish sometimes I had a map to figure you out. So there's having yeah. a little bit of sisterly, you know, disagreement and she wants a map to figure her out. And then Hope's sitting around and she's like, huh, map, code, numbers, coordinates on a map. Hey, letters of names of places. And she puts it all together and she finds the message that, uh, uh, the message is this raft embed agent en route to NY with asset plus four, all four expendable. Yeah. I don't know. It, it still took a very big leap of logic to get there, right? Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, when you're trying to crack a code and somebody says something and, I don't know, I've never cracked a code other than, no, never cracked a code <laughs> uh, and I don't care. <laughs> no, it, it is a huge leap of logic. I, I fully agree with you. Now, again, as we get into the final episode number 10, they kind of try to explain this away in a grand scheme, which we'll talk about. Yeah. But for now, um, and that's one of the things I actually meant to mention off the top. It's like we're talking about these ep episodes individually, but we've already seen both of them. And the second one plays into what happens in this one in a lot of ways. But as we are watching, all we've seen so far is her say the map thing, hope cracks the code, which reveals to her that uh, um, Huck is, in fact, not their friend, or at least, you know, working for the other side right now. Uh, yeah. So that's a pretty big deal in the context of the show, right? That that Hope knows this all of a sudden. Uh, it is a big deal. I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah, she's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, what am I trying to say here? That, I mean, they try to explain her genius later on, mm -hmm. but, um, uh, and the mark of a genius is, you know, you go A plus B equals C, you get to C without knowing B, right? It's being able to make these leaps of logic, but that's also, um, uh, intuitive thinking that they no longer, like they don't teach in school anymore, right? They, they mm. want you to, to, to think about that B and to make sure that you get to C properly and not just, oh, I know it's four. Right. The answer is four. It's like, well, why is the answer four? I don't know. It just kind of says, you know, it's just kind of four. <laughs> and no, you can't, it's not good enough to just get the four. You have to show your work kind right. of thing. So they're kind of training that, that out of us, but that's okay. Uh, but you know, her mark of genius is uh, going, oh, map, numbers, coordinates, letters, message, you know. Huck uh, bad. Huck bad. Uh, it, it, there's a lot, there's a lot there. No, I know. I know. There's a lot there. Um, I don't feel like it was the worst way they could end or play out this code thing, but it certainly wasn't the best. <laughs> they needed the code for this message to be revealed, um, but it, I just kind of wish the code didn't exist in the show at all, and they found some other way to do it. But maybe she knows about code cracking because this is actually, you know, uh, a way of sending messages where you have a series of numbers that you pass from one person to another, but they don't mean anything unless the person who wrote the numbers and the person who needs to decrypt the code have the same book, mm -hmm. right? So they have, you know, page number, uh, paragraph number, word number, letter number. Right. So these, and then you go in and you pick the letter and you write the letter down. Yeah. So it's the same kind of cipher. 
So maybe she's, and I'm not sure if cipher is the right word, but it's the same kind of code. Uh, maybe she has read a lot of code breaking books in her, how old is she? 16? Nah, they're pretty young. Yeah. Uh, maybe she's read a lot of code breaking books in her 16 years. Well, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, uh, sort of get on board with this for me, but she cracks it. She needed to get this message. She needed to find out that Huck was, uh, with the CRM and knowing this, she goes to Huck and says, fine, let's leave. We'll go away on our own. And she, you know, they, they leave together, uh, with hopes intentions of confronting Huck about this. Before we get to that though, we have to go back to Elton for a moment. He finds a, a walkie talkie in Percy's pocket. He ends up radioing Huck, not knowing her story. And Percy wakes up at that moment while he's talking to Huck on the radio and he says, she's the one who shot me. Oh, dun, dun, dun. Yes. So Huck killed Tony and shot Percy and tried to pin it on Silas to separate the group, to try and separate the asset from the rest of them, because that's what she's trying to do. And then the episode ends with Hope who has stolen Felix's gun as she's walking down a road with Huck. She reaches for the gun sort of in the back of her pants. And, you know, we cut to black before she pulls it out, but she's going to pull out that gun and confront Huck on the road about who she really is. Yep. Big cliffhanger. So, you know, big, uh, yeah, big cliffhanger. I was going to say twist, but it's not a twist. It's a, oh my gosh, what happens next kind of moment. So, um, Overall, not too bad. You just have to kind of put these logical leaps in the back of your mind or push them way down somewhere. And this kind of works a lot of this, I think. Yeah. The other thing that Huck does is when they get to that building, she goes into a room and then comes yeah. out of the room and closes the door and says, you don't want to go in there. There's, you know, a bunch of dead bodies in there and you don't need to see that. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I'm thinking... That's the same kind of logic I use on my four-year-old. No, you don't want a piece of this cake. It tastes like mayonnaise, right? And he really, we know he hates mayonnaise. So it's like, <laughs> oh, I want to taste that. It's like, oh no, you, you wouldn't like this. This is, this is for adults. I mean. But I don't, I never do that. I'd be like, we don't have cake without giving him cake. But that's the kind of logic where you just kind of tell a little bit of a fib in order to throw them off the trail. Uh, and you know, he's four, he goes for it, but sure. if somebody said that, oh, you don't want to go in there, it's full of bodies. Well, I think I want to see. Especially in the zombie apocalypse, but I'm glad you brought that up because is that something else that contributes to, uh, Hope's sudden distrust or I mean, Iris's sudden distrust of Huck. And is that enough maybe? No, because she doesn't clue in until later that, you know, the room never becomes a, uh, a source of, uh, you know, a cause of, or a reason for, uh, or, uh, a consequence of, uh, her mistrust, right. And it, until it's actually plainly laid out. Yeah. And that, that was kind of my feeling too. Um, but I think maybe the show was going for that. Um, but you're right. She doesn't realize it later well, until later. Missed. Yeah. They missed. Uh, one more thing. Uh, well, a couple more things. We also get some flashbacks of Will and Felix in this episode. So we see them back in happier times, you know, living together. It's a, it's a quick look into their relationship, I think, and how Felix is a bit of a control freak. 
which I think the show has tried to uh, portray to us by him coming along with them, trying to get them to turn around, you know, doing everything. Um, and then we also see the conversation when it's revealed that Will will be leaving, his boyfriend Will will be leaving with Leo Bennett as the security detail um, instead of anybody else. So just a peek into their relationship a little bit. Um, and the one other point there is, I think it's revealed to us that Will has a master's degree in behavioral psychology, which again, I think feels relevant to what we now know about the Civic Republic and them gathering apparently the smartest people. Right. Right. He's one of the smartest people. So why not bring him along instead of Felix, who's just a control freak who makes his own coffee. I don't know. I know some people's people's. Yeah, obviously I'm one of the smart ones. I know some, I know of, uh, I know a couple of people that have master's degrees. They don't seem all that smart to me. Some of them. (laughs) I mean, there's other people that have master's degrees that are obviously very intelligent, but I've known people with master's degrees that, um, got them because they didn't really know what else to do. And they kind of just went through the motions and got them and then got on with their lives. But now they have a master's degree. It doesn't make them a, you know, uh, a, you know, an intelligence of the ages. Uh, no, no, you're absolutely right. Just, you know, well-educated doesn't equal smart always. No, it does not. <laughs> but I, they, I think they had to put this in here, first of all, to introduce us to Will, because we need yes. to, we need to know who he is. And, you know, in a less obvious way, the behavioral psychology degree kind of fits in with where the show is going. So. Right. And the other important thing about Will is that, uh, he's a liar. He, they got, he got out of bed saying, I'll make pancakes if you make dinner. Uh, and said, that's a great idea, but he never made pancakes. He barely made coffee. I'm not even sure he made coffee. There was just coffee there. I think that was coffee from like the day before. Oh man. That they poured. Cause it didn't seem hot. didn't seem fresh. Nobody made it. Man, that was gross. <laughs> <laughs> so you side with Felix on this one. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to get up and say you're going to make pancakes, you better goddamn well make pancakes. I agree with that. I'm just I, saying. I expect some pancakes. Yeah. Okay. We have a post-credit scene. Hope you stick around, stuck around for this one. Oh man, I did not. Well, it's fine. This one was very, uh, straightforward. I mean, it wasn't clear what was going on exactly, but it was, it was pretty short. So we see a CRM truck. We hear a gunshot and Will comes running through kind of a forested area. He falls down next to a zombie who's just a head and a hand sticking out of a grave. And he sort of like looks at it for a second. He jumps up again, runs away, and he's being chased by CRM soldiers. Oh, that's telling. That helps with later on. It does actually. So it's too bad you missed that, but that yeah. is the post credit scene for this one. Uh, obviously important for later on, as you said. I don't know about you, but if I saw a head and a hand of a zombie coming up out of a grave, is that what you said? Yeah, I think there was even a, a headstone or maybe a cross in the ground right behind him. It was just the head and the hand. Very, you know, very stereotypical, like zombie coming out of the ground type. Yeah, well, that, that's what I'm thinking. Because it was, uh, were they embalmed? Because chances are they were embalmed, right? Like in the mortuary, that lady, that lady zombie that came out, uh, she was embalmed. Uh, yeah, on fear, you mean? Oh, that was on fear. Yeah, but yes, still. Uh, it was, but I, I think this was just, you know, not, not everyone's being embalmed anymore. It's if you, if somebody you know dies, you just bury them in a grave, right? You, no, you cut off their head and 
Well, I guess you bury, you know, Jasper's arm somewhere if you need to. So <laughs> it depends uh, on your level of civilization. I suppose. Mostly right. it's just like, okay, I'm just going to bash him in the head so that you don't come back as a zombie and then well, move on with your lives. Anyway, uh, what I was going to say was that uh, if I am standing there and a zombie head and a hand is uh, sticking up out of a grave, as I get up, I'm giving the zombie a high five. I'm just, that's just my first thought. Of course. Why not? <laughs> don't leave him hanging. No, right? he's going for the high five, you know? Yeah. I, I don't think the zombie was actually the important part of this. I think it was just kind of there to look cool. <laughs> I'm uh, focusing on it. That's fine. That's fine. But I think it was just there to sort of look cool. Um, the fact that he was running and being chased by CRM soldiers was much more important. Yeah. That, yeah. I'm burying the lead there. Uh, so yeah. So he's on the run. He's obviously uh, no longer um, somebody or, you know, he's done something bad or they've decided he's not smart after all. Something like that. Don't know. Or he used his master's in behavioral sci- science against the CRM. Mm. They don't like that. No, they don't like anyone working against them. So I have a quick uh, message from Bill in New Jersey here. Bill writes, did you notice that in the first World Beyond show tonight, the main group went to what looks to be Hilltop? (laughs) I know they're supposed to be in New York. Seems AMC is repurposing sets, unless I'm crazy. Come on, Gimple. This was obviously the Hilltop set. Every Walking Dead fan recognizes this. Um, Unfortunately, Bill, I don't think it was. So he's saying that the big house they go into kind of looks like the big house on Hilltop. Go in you know, sort of an open lobby area, stairs going up. Uh, but it, it wasn't. Also, this show films in Virginia, not in Atlanta or Georgia. So I don't think it was the same place, just maybe a little bit similar. Hmm. So there you go. You know, the big old houses are, uh, you know, they tend to be kind of samey. They do. Yeah, they do for sure. You know, you, know, you walk in through the front door and it's, uh, it's the great room. It's the, it's the same kind of concept as, as a church, right? You, uh, the idea is you focus the people through a small opening so that when you go into the grand room, it's a big reveal, right? You yeah. don't, it doesn't have like huge massive doors where it looks like it's the outside all the way in because that's not dramatic at all. You force them through a small door, a small opening, usually with, uh, uh, through a small lobby, right? And then you go into the, uh, the church proper and it's a big grand reveal. So that's, uh, you know, the old houses kind of use the same, uh, the same, style. Well, I like that. That's good. And uh, you know, give people a surprise. Yeah. Very nice. Okay. That I think covers, um, world beyond episode nine, unless you have any other comments about it, Jason, but I, uh, agree with you. I think it's, was a little bit better yet again for the most part. Yeah. By, uh, not by leaps and bounds by any stretch of the imagination, but, uh, you know, a step in the right direction. They keep moving the ball down the field. That's good. Look at me with the sports analogies. <laughs> That's right. So it's all good. Okay. We will take a short break, everyone. When we come back, we'll be talking about The Walking Dead World Beyond Season 1, Episode 10. Stay with us. changing and every day looks like rain but I keep hoping for that sun the streets are filled with demons Lord that's never gonna change but I still want to be with everyone I know there's
Before we get back into the regular podcast, everyone, I want to take a quick moment to thank a couple of people who have recently supported the show, and that is Michael S., who recently sent in a contribution via PayPal. Thank you so much, Michael S. And Martin Van B., who became a new patron at Patreon, our Patreon page. Thank you to the both of you. If you would like to uh, support the show as well, you can go the PayPal route by going to talkingdeadpodcast.com slash PayPal, making a one-time contribution. Or if you'd like to become a patron, visit patreon.com slash the talking dead, where you can do just that, become a patron, small monthly pledge. And uh, of course, everything we collect goes into the uh, upkeep and maintenance around here, keeping the lights on and the water running, um, you know, and the tape recorders rolling. So And the toilets flushing. Oh, the toilets flushing. Most importantly, the toilets flushing. It's all it's all important. Every even the even the little things. Very much so. So thank you to you guys. Thank you to everyone who listens. Um we very much appreciate all your support. All right. Back on with the show, World Beyond, episode 10. It's called In This Life. It's a season finale. And I think we'll start with this one, Jason, um, with Hope confronting Huck, even though the episode doesn't quite start with this scene. But uh, as we know, they're out on the road. Huck or um, Hope pulls the gun and they have this conversation. Huck admits that she's with the CRM and she admits that Hope is the asset. So Hope is right. the one she is trying to get to the CRM or the CR research facility. Now, why hope? Why is hope the asset? And again, as I said earlier, it was kind of weird talking about the first episode knowing this already, but when we were watching it, we didn't really know. And the reason is hope is some kind of genius. She's extremely smart, young, and uh, got a lot going on upstairs. So the Civic Republic wants the smartest people on the job trying to save the world. Um, and so they're basically bringing them to this research place so they can do just that. And I think- yeah, by, by manipulating them and separating them from their family. And killing so, people and executing the most complex, ridiculous plan to get someone to go from point A to point B, you can pretty much imagine. I mean, even the- Okay, so this annoys me, and uh, I'm like, even the Empire, when they were trying to get that guy <laughs> to come back and finish the plans for the Death Star, and the design for the Death Star, invited this family, right? It's like, no, you come back, you finish the Death Star plans, uh, and, uh, you know, bring your family along, because that's the right thing to do, right? If you want somebody happy, you bring their family. If you want somebody miserable and who's going to try and fight you every step of the way, you purposefully don't bring their family. You're talking about um, Rogue One, right? Rogue One, yes. Okay, okay. When Ben Mendelsohn goes to get What's-His-Face to come back in Rogue One. Right. Okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it didn't work out, no. but uh, that was the plan. And then they landed their shuttle like, like half a mile down the fucking road and they had to hike it all the way to their house. Just like... Land next to the house. If the Millennium Falcon can land in Mos Eisley in this tight little 
friggin' urban jungle, uh, they can land a goddamn shuttle a little closer to the house. I don't know, man. Mos Eisley, that's, that's an actual landing pad designed for spaceships. They're, they just live in a field. Like, maybe it was rocky or it wasn't level enough, and that was the closest oh, place they could put like, that thing down. It was, like, past the field. They had, like, the house and then a big open area. <laughs> then there was the, the field where they were growing shit, and then, like, a big open area, and then where they landed the goddamn shuttle. All right. Well, it was too far away either way. It, it didn't make any sense to me. Still but, a good movie. Still, yes, mostly. Mostly. Yeah. So all this information comes out about Huck and about Hope and what's going on. Um, Huck also, you know, Hope questions why me, which I think a lot of us were sort of saying. Mm-hmm. And Huck says to her kid, you have no idea who you are. And that, to me, implies something beyond just, you're really smart, right? That implies that she's important in some other way, that she's related to somebody, that she is meaningful to the Civic Republic for something beyond her intelligence. Yeah, I I assume that she was either um, a psychic (laughs) or uh, had telekinetic powers or was a fire starter. Right. Right. Or immune to the zombie virus. Well, that's what a lot of people are going with, right? She's special in some way beyond just really smart. And I don't know if the show is going there. It didn't get there in this episode. Uh, And I'm not sure how I feel about that. If it's something like immunity or something else scientific, um, but for now, it just feels like a weird line. You know, like, you have no idea who you are. And I, and maybe Huck just means you have no idea how smart you are. But the line wasn't written very well if that's what they were just getting at. Well, because the, all the, uh, uh, the post-credit scenes all had to do with, or not all of them, but the first one or the first two had to do with studying uh, the zombie virus. Right. right. So that's, that's what they're doing is they're studying the zombie virus. So why would they bring in this, uh, 16 year old, really smart person, unless they are like, shit, we took apart this computer and we don't know how to put it back together. I know someone who can put a computer back together. We should, <laughs> we should kill her whole family and a couple other thousand people so that we can, uh, we can get her back here. Cause damn, I want to play Donkey Kong and this right. is the only one with the emulator on it. <laughs> That's right. And she'll come <laughs> and be like, did you try turning it off and on again? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, the memory card is not in right. Oh. Just gonna get, push this a little bit. There you go. Donkey Kong away. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I just think if there's nothing more to that, I think that was the show. It may be purposefully kind of manipulating us a bit. It's like, oh, we're going to make them think she's really special, but it's just that she's smart. So I don't know, that kind of bugged me. Uh, but at the same time, I was excited to learn all this information and, you know, get a glimpse into what was going on. Uh, now, a bunch of other things are going on in this episode. We also see a lot of scenes between Dr. Bennett and Dr. Belshaw, who are at the research facility and clearly in a relationship, as we speculated, based on that photo of them. Right. Uh, they seem to be living together maybe not living together, but they're certainly having dinner or just hanging out at home. Uh, they talk about Hope and Iris. We um, flash back to the scenes you were referring to where Hope's taking apart and rebuilding a computer. They're showing us the early signs of her genius, apparently. Um, and, you know, throughout the episode, we get kind of more 
of that kind of stuff. We see at one point, Lila, Dr. Belshaw, practicing this conversation she's going to have with Leo. She's saying it to herself in her office. She's telling him about hope being on her way. And she's explaining why they're bringing her to the Republic. So Dr. Leo doesn't know any of this. He doesn't know what's going on. And she wants to tell him. Yeah. But then she chickens out. You know, if because what you do is if you have somebody that you want uh, to help you out is you manipulate and lie to them uh, almost constantly, forever. <laughs> and then when you do bring one, one of their daughters to, uh, to you, you just bring the one. Make sure that she's separated from her sister mm-hmm. so that only the one daughter shows up. It's so annoying. Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the things that, uh, Lila says to herself while she's practicing this speech is to bring back the world, it's going to take the brightest minds and she's one of those minds. So if you weren't clear yet, that should have solidified what the civic Republic is trying to do. I don't know why I have so much trouble saying that, but it just doesn't roll off my tongue well. Yeah. What are you going to do? Lila gets back into the room with Dr. Bennett, but she ultimately chickens out and does not deliver the speech to him. So she doesn't tell him instead, Leo tells her that in fact, he's already suspicious of the CRM and he makes reference to the civilian government doing good things, but it's your military that I'm worried about. So there is the military, the CRM, and there's also Mm -hmm. the civilian government, which we haven't really heard very much about at this point, but Leo says he thinks that they're being lied to. So he doesn't know what's going on, but he's got a bad feeling about this. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so lots of insight there kind of into his mindset, their relationship, what Dr. Belshaw is thinking. Um, it doesn't really go anywhere in this episode, but it gives us that information about what's going on at the other end of things. I think a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, so if we jump back to what's happening with Iris and Felix, they, of course, find all those supplies in that room Huck said not to go into, as we mentioned earlier. What were in the canisters? Was it air? Yeah, compressed oxygen? air. Oxygen? Uh, I think they used it to reinflate the tire on the truck, right? So it was some sort of oxygen or air tank. Unless they, they pumped had helium, helium into it. Well, yeah. Can you inflate a tire but, with helium? I don't see why not. I guess. You can inflate balloons, so. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, what you should do is if you got to send a package somewhere, throw in a helium balloon. It'll be lighter. <laughs> That's right. It'll be lighter. <laughs> oh, funny. But then again, the, uh, uh, the post office calculates based on uh, volumetric weight rather than just actual weight. Okay. They take the volume of the package and have a formula to calculate it. Like if it weighs more than it is big, then we take the big portion of it and use that for pricing. But if it's weighs more, uh, sorry, if it weighs less than it is big, then they calculate the volumetric uh, weight. But if it weighs a lot and it's small, then they use the actual weight. Well, now I'm less confused. (laughs) Whichever costs more. Right. Of course. So you can't just put helium, you can't just fill a box with helium and send it and make some money. Got it. Okay. (laughs) So they fixed the tire on the truck with all this stuff. And as we said earlier, this is one of the things that may have started to convince Iris that uh, Huck isn't who she says she is. But they get back on the road. And I do think the Iris learning to drive scene was kind of funny. 
Um, she doesn't know how. At one point, she says the <laughs> she makes reference to the left break, and yeah, Felix press the, the left break. break. The left one? There's only one break. <laughs> yeah, but there's three pedals, right? There's the gas, the clutch, and the brake. Right? I know. Yeah. So, uh, and if you press the clutch, the car's going to slow down, and the truck's going to slow down. So that might seem like a brake. So that makes kind of under understatement. Do I press the left brake? Or the right brake. It's like, well, there's only one brake. Well, that doesn't really help. No. It's the one in the middle. Press the one in the middle it, would be a much better answer. It was funny, though. I thought the whole it was thing funny. was a moment of funniness. So, Do you yeah, know how to drive I, a standard car? I do not know how to drive a standard car. Okay. I only learned how to drive a regular car in the last 10 years. Yeah, I know. I wasn't sure, though. Yeah. Remember on my wedding day, you had to drive my car because I couldn't drive? I do. I do remember that. I'm glad I was there to help out. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's all good. I know how to drive now. It's okay. Yeah, I know. Everything's fine. Not not standard though. I, I'd like to someday, but I've, I haven't come across a standard vehicle in uh, many a moon. Oh no. Yeah. I mean, I have because relatives in Europe uh, own standard cars, but not over here. No. Okay. So uh, they get on the road and basically they catch up with Hope and Huck who are also in a house for the night. Yeah. And then as soon as they hear the vehicle, they turn out the light. They right? do. Which is, which is, uh, it reminded me of, uh, something you, well, first of all, you should never do that. If you have the light on, right, just leave it on. Mm -hmm. right? If you turn the light off, it's just going to be like, whoa, there's somebody there. Right. And I remember this because when I was in high school, um, my friend, uh, his mom was the principal of a grade school. And so he got the keys to the school one time and a bunch of us went over to this school, this elementary school, uh, and essentially we played Nerf guns. They were little plastic discs and they weren't actual Nerf weapons, but uh, we ran around this school, inside of the school, shooting each other with these little plastic discs. It was awesome. It was a great night. We did that all night long. And I remember being in the classroom one time and I heard somebody coming up the stairs and I turned off the light and I'm like, ah, oh, you shouldn't turn off the light. And I just told them where, where I was and I totally got shot. Uh, by these little plastic discs. Oh. So that, you know, it really nailed home that if you're going to be discovered, don't turn out the light. That's just going to announce where you are. Right. If the lights are off, leave them off. If they're on, leave them on. Yes. Okay. And if they see the light before you turn it off, you're already burnt, right? So mm -hmm. why bother turning them off? Well, poor, poor call on Huck's part. But anyways, they've, they've now invited them in. So we have reunited. Hooray. You'd think it was a good thing. Huck is kind of playing it cool here. Right. But Felix no longer trusts her. He confronts her about it and she admits again to being with the CRM. Mm -hmm. So the next thing that happens is they end up in a big fight while the house they're in is burning down. You of know, course. the lamp they have lights up some rags on fire. The whole house is uh -huh. on fire. And they have this actually really amazing fight scene. I thought everything about this fight in the house was great. I think it was one of the best that any of the Walking Dead shows have done, to be honest. Really? It was really, really good. It was long. It was exciting. It was intense. Everything was engulfed in fire. They were crashing through walls. They used weapons. They basically had a big sword fight in a burning building. Like, I thought it was really, really well done. And I thought both actors, Nico Tortorella and Annette, Mahendru, I'm sure it was probably a lot of stunt doubles and stuff, but they seemed very accomplished at like acting fighting and yeah. it really worked for me. 
And I laughed out loud when Felix grabs the door off the kitchen cabinet and clobbers Huck in the back with it. Like, <laughs> I mean, it, it had everything, this fight. I think it was great. They end up outside and eventually she gets the better of Felix and is about to kill him, I guess. Um, but Hope has found a gun and she points it at her own head, threatens to kill herself, which causes Huck to stop. After taking the time to, to remove the silencer. Uh, She's like, okay, they're going to fight. She's about to kill her, but I'm going to remove this silencer and then fire a shot in the air to get their attention. Yes. And then put it to my head. Well, she had to get their attention. It was probably a loud fire burning behind them. Yes, but silencers are not silent, right? They're suppressors. That's something I've learned doing this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. They are still very loud, but they, they mask the sound a bit. But if you're standing within, you know, 20 feet of somebody with a, with a pistol, with one of these things, you're still going to hear it. I guess. I don't right? know. It doesn't go, choo, choo, choo. Does, it does not make that sound. Okay. Well, in, according to TV and movies, I feel like silencers or suppressors make the gun pretty quiet. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways. What That'd did be you cool think if of, they did. What did you think of this fight scene? I loved it, as you can tell. It, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, uh, if, if a little cliche. Right. It, it reminded me of uh, uh, the fight scene at the end of Blazing Saddles where they, you know, crashing through walls and they end up on a soundstage of, of a, a song and dance number. Uh, and then they, you know, break out into the, into the streets of the studio. And, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, Mel Brooks, what are you going to do? Sure. Uh, and then Max Brooks with the uh, zombie survival guide eh? connection. No, <laughs> I'm not sure there is. I don't know if that fight scene has anything to do with this other than it takes place in various locations. But this reminded well, it, me of when Negan and Rick fought in one of the houses in Alexandria. And then one of them, Rick maybe goes out the window and that one was short and quick and not as exciting. This one was great. All right. I'll give it to you. I mean, the house was on fire. Yeah. The only other thing they could have done to amp this up is to put a time bomb in there and that they had to get out before it exploded. Right. Uh, so, I don't know. It seemed a little cliche, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. Maybe. I just, I just think they did it pretty well. So I, I was really happy with this. I enjoyed this part of the episode quite a bit. Well, action scenes like, okay, so it, it, it is partly my fault because action scenes like this, um, they kind of, I lose interest these days. Like I tend to not watch TV shows or movies that have car chases anymore because mm-hmm. they don't really do it for me anymore. It, it's gotten to the point where uh, if I watch a movie that's an action movie uh, and during the action scenes, I tend to fall asleep, hmm. right? So, and there, uh, these action movies have kind of, uh, I heard of uh, a theory that they've replaced uh, musicals, right? The, the, the structure of a musical is, you know, uh, character development, plot, plot, exposition, people talking, breaking a song and dance for three to five minutes, uh, end the song, more talking, more plot development, more character development, what have you. Right. Action movies do the exact same thing, right? It's uh, plot development, talking, and then action scene, you know, an action set piece, they call it now. Mm-hmm. And you have to have three or four action set pieces. And the only time uh, the actual, for me, the only time the movie takes place is between the action set, set pieces. So right. I used to really love them and I don't know if it's film that has uh, done them like the chase scene or the, uh, uh, the vehicle scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark, a fucking masterpiece, right? Oh yeah. Or even the, uh, the speeder bike scene in uh, Return of the Jedi, 
where they're going through the forest moon of Endor. Yep. Like, oh my God, I still remember the feeling that gave me in the theater yep. watching that and just not knowing it was coming and just all of a sudden, holy shit, what's going on here? This is amazing. Those are great. Nowadays, I don't know. It just, it doesn't interest me as much. I mean, both of those are car chases essentially, right? Which are a little bit different than, than, or, or maybe a car chase is its own thing when compared to an action scene, a sub genre of action scenes, maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I know the, I love the speeder bike chase. There's been a lot of Star Wars in this podcast for some reason, more than usual. Well, we should, you know, maybe just seamlessly switch over to a Star Wars podcast. (laughs) Yeah. No one will ever notice. (laughs) Um, I love the speeder bike scene. I still love it. Uh, I've seen the Indiana Jones one. I, if I, if I'm thinking of what you're talking about, I've seen it kind of recently and that one didn't hold up as well for me for some reason. I don't know why. I, I It's been done to death. It's the same thing with X-Files, right? Yeah. X-Files yeah, was yeah. such a groundbreaking show that it's, uh, you know, watching it now is just kind of cliche. Well, maybe. As far as uh, fight scenes go, I thought this one was really good, but I take your point. It may be a little bit cliche, but I thought they well, did a I- great job. I went to see Gladiator. Like, it's not just chase scenes. It's, it's yeah. also fight scenes. I went to see Gladiator in the theater when it came out in, I don't even know when that came out. But uh, I fell asleep. You know, <laughs> mind you, I was extremely tired because I had ridden my bike from Toronto to uh, uh, St. Catharines that day. So I was a little tired. But, you know, as soon as, the, and it was the action scenes. As soon as the fight scenes came on, I'm like, uh, yeah. and you know me, I fall asleep in movies. Yeah, I've been you've sitting seen, beside you fall yeah. asleep in a movie. Snoring away. Jason, get up, you're asleep. I had to elbow you. Yeah, good times. Good it times. was like one o'clock in the morning. Give me a break. It was very late, to be fair, at yeah. a film festival. All right, let's jump over to Silas, Elton, and Percy, because they're still doing stuff in this episode. Uh, we first discover that Silas is just kind of hanging around cooking rabbits or squirrels. Was that a rabbit or a squirrel? It was a rabbit. Okay, cooking rabbit. You don't know the difference between a rabbit and a squirrel? They showed a dead rabbit on the fucking table. Well, I don't know. I thought for some reason it was a squirrel at first, but I think you're right. It was a rabbit. You have to be careful with rabbits though, because they're very lean. You can't get rabbit starvation. You can't survive on rabbits alone. I know, but. Oh, you got to eat squirrels too. You do. Although they're very lean because, you know, a lot of cardio. (laughs) Sure. The (laughs) hamster in my house that the kids own. That guy gets more cardio than I've ever seen an animal get. He runs on that wheel so much. Yeah, see, well, when you go to eat them, maybe you should take the wheel out for a couple of days, fatten them up. Good idea. I'll let her <laughs> Just know. Just in case. You I'll know. let the girls know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, Silas is cooking this rabbit, and then we see him just kind of sitting there alone in a warehouse. And I thought this was one of the more depressing shots I've ever seen. I'm like, that poor guy. He's just sitting, staring blankly, doing nothing. He's got no purpose or direction or anything going for him. And I was, it bummed me out. Oh no. I think that that's a, you know, the true mark of a man is being able to sit in a room by yourself and not have any distractions and being able, being so comfortable with yourself that you could just sit there. Okay. I don't know. I'm not sure Silas was there, but. Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't think I could do it. I think it would drive me crazy. Sure. But you know, I'm not calling myself a true mark of a man. Uh, what am I doing here? I don't know. Anyway, uh, I think it's fine. It's the same thing as, uh, you know, roamers and lurkers, mm-hmm. right? Remember that concept that they never really, that was in the comic, but not really in the show? Yeah, I We do. had a few lurkers every now and again in the early seasons, but 
uh, you know, without any external stimulus, zombies will just sit there. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, there's no food to get. There's no sound to chase after. There's no other zombies wandering around. It's going to stand here. Yep. we got nothing to you know? do. Well. That's what he's doing. He's got nothing to do. He's, you know, he's eating his rabbit. He's, uh, he's done for the day. What are you going to do? I guess. It's- Sit there with your thoughts and maybe he's writing a novel in his head. In his you know, mind. You never right? know. Well, I was kind of depressed by it all. But, uh, Elton and Percy show up. And Percy explains that Huck killed Tony, so everyone knows that, and it wasn't Silas. So he feels really vindicated that it wasn't him, and he's happy, you know, that he's not a monster. And Yeah. Why did he black out, though? Well, he he blacks out because he has those um, uh, incidents because of his traumatic past. Well, they've established that when he blacks out is because he's enraged, right? He's threatened and enraged and like they've kind of established that on a number of occasions that that's what happens. And then he was, he blacked out and he woke up and this person was dead. Yeah. But now they're explaining that he didn't do that. So why doesn't he know that? I don't, I don't understand. He, he thinks he did it because he doesn't remember anything about the incident with Tony. Was he asleep? No, I think maybe he could have blacked out out of fear too, or I think there was an implication that Huck got him drunk as well. So he was blackout drunk. It could be, yeah. But they didn't explain it. It's just, okay, they explained that he didn't do it, and that's fine, and that's grand, and kind of what I suspected, but they didn't explain why he doesn't remember not doing it. Well, I think maybe it is the booze. Like, why else would they put the, the bottles of alcohol near him, right? In, in that episode where we discover Tony's body. Yes. Okay. Which, I suppose. Which kind of undercuts the idea of him having, you know, blacked out rage moments or something like that, right? Like, was he drunk or was it a mental health problem? I mean, it's now unclear, I would say. Yeah. They're, they're glossing over an important part here. I think. Right. Like they, yeah. they, they, they're using, uh, they set the stage for this unknown and this stage is not on a solid foundation. <laughs> no, you're, you're, I think you're right about that. But I felt better because Silas felt better, right? After seeing him sitting there doing nothing, he suddenly realizes like you could, you could almost see him come to life a little bit when he finds out he didn't do it. He's like, I didn't do it. I'm not a monster. Everything's yeah. going to be okay. And I like that bit. Yeah, it was nice for him. Yes. Um, so they're hiding out in this factory though, and CRM soldiers show up looking for something. The guys kind of speculate that maybe they saw the fire or because, uh, you know, Silas <laughs> lit a barbecue on fire. There's a lot of fire going on here. Accidental yeah. fire. Well, he cooked the, he cooked the rabbit on a barbecue and then just walked away without putting out the fire yep. and the wind knocked it over. And started another fire. Yes. And he didn't give a shit. No, he so, didn't give a shit. Because why would he? That was his mental state at the time. Right. So. Uh, you know, if I was in the zombie apocalypse and I was all by myself, I'd start fires. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I would. No. But, uh, you know, well, I'm sure somebody would. He didn't intentionally do it. He just didn't care when it did happen. So they speculate maybe they saw the fire or maybe the CRM was getting wise to them you know, raiding their fuel supplies and things like that. And so they were coming looking for them, but ultimately we don't really know why they showed up there at that moment. Um, but the three guys sneak away at night and, you know, 
during at some point during this, he flashes back to all the nice things people have said about him and done for him um, and all the good things he's done. So we're just sort of reinforcing the fact that he's not a horrible monster. And um, they get to this fence they're going to go through and Silas decides to step up and sacrifice himself to the CRM soldiers so that Elton and Percy can get away. And this was his way now of saving them. And he says this so that they can go save the others. Yeah. So why did he cut his hand? Um, because, uh, Percy was bleeding and there was a trail of blood and they were oh. suspected that, that, um, the soldiers were going to follow that trail. So he cut his hand to convince them that it was just him bleeding. Oh, okay. I missed that. Yeah. No, it was there. Um, and I, and here's another scene I liked him being arrested by the CRM soldiers. It was done at night in slow motion. Everything was lit by headlights. He kind of had this glow around him as he was putting his hands up. Uh, it was a cool looking scene. I thought, mm -hmm. so there you go. Um, the, you know, Elton and Percy, they kind of end up alone now, of course. We don't exactly know what happened to Silas other, other than he gets taken away. But the other two guys end up kind of aimlessly walking, not knowing what to do. Except Elton, he's still optimistic that they can help people, save people, which is something I'm sort of starting to like about him for some reason. He's just so goofily optimistic uh, <laughs> that it's kind of working. And... He says the line to Percy, we're going to make our lives count, not because we're the last generation, but because we're the beginning. There and boy, howdy, did this remind me of the end is the beginning from fear. So there is some <laughs> show overlap happening here, I'm pretty sure. Theme overlap, yes. Okay, theme overlap. And this is not an accident, I don't think. No, of course not. So... Um, so that's happening with them. Any, anything else you noticed about the Silas Elton and Percy plotline for this, from this episode? No, not that I can think of. I've, I've kind of covered it pretty well. Yeah. I kind of went right through it all. So, um, we really have to circle back now and, you know, after the fight in the burning building between, uh, Huck and Felix, they go their separate ways. So we have Iris and Felix on their own again, and we have uh, uh, Huck and Hope on their own again. So Huck and Hope get to their rendezvous point where they are supposed to be picked up by a helicopter, of course, a CRM helicopter. Elizabeth meets them. Uh, Hope realizes that Elizabeth is Huck's mother. I think that's yes. confirmed. Mother, daughter. It is now. Yep. I gotcha. There you go. And... Talking with Elizabeth through this conversation, it's clear that Huck has no idea what happened to the campus colony. She does not know that her mom was involved in the slaughtering of 9,000 people. <laughs> nope. Right? Um, and then they basically get in the helicopter and fly away. So the asset has been delivered to the Civic Republic. Yep. She's an A. Wait a minute. W one of them is a test subject who is infected but not dead. Oh, fuck, I forget now. <laughs> uh, well, that's the theory, right? Yeah. Or an A and or B, or a B would be, uh, an A would be an intelligent person that could add to the uh, collective. Uh-huh. And a B would be someone they could use for testing. Right. Oh, the B. That's right. There you go. She's an A. So yes. that, I guess, 
that doesn't really confirm anything, but that's my new theory, I suppose. No, I mean, I, that's, I think that's pretty well, um, considered at this point. People are going with that. Yeah. Um, now we also are, it's also revealed to us that when Hope was saying goodbye to Iris after the fight at the burning house, yep, she kind of whispered in her ear that, you know, we, this is happening as we watch Iris and Felix walk through the forest on their own now. Um, Iris is all confident that they'll get her sister back. She says, we'll kick the CR's ass. And we see the full conversation of them saying goodbye. And it's revealed that the two of them together are the quote unquote real asset asset. Yes. This is what hope was saying because together they are smart, brave, intelligent, and together they are far stronger and sort of, um, uh, uh, far stronger than, you know, individually. Absolutely. I mean, that's just a, uh, you know, an analogy of, of society, you know, we're better together than we are individually. Yeah. Uh, that's for sure. So, um, and this is another reason why you should bring an assets family with them instead of trying to separate them because, you know, they're going to be better for you if they're together and not worried about their family. Or if you've incorrectly identified an individual as intelligent, when in fact, collectively they're intelligent with their twin sister, mm -hmm. then, uh, you know, it's no harm, no foul. Yeah. You got them both anyway. Yeah. And, and you kind of explained that much more eloquently than I did. I would, I stumbled through it, but, uh, together they're stronger. And this is what, uh, Hope realized. And she communicated this to Iris and it's kind of motivated Iris to continue on whatever it is they're going to do next, right? Kick the CR's ass, get our sister back. Like, as far as I can tell they're you know, she's still on board with going towards New York and towards this research facility. There's no turning back for her. Yeah. They just need to go out and find a nuclear powered submarine and fly it into the middle of the uh, CRM <laughs> to, uh, to, you know, fuck some shit up. Sure. That's how it got there, I guess. <laughs> now. Submarines fly, right? I got that right. Yeah. But don't forget, uh, fear is taking place way earlier than this is. So that sub is I know, already but... there. Oh, okay. So they flew it over there already. All right. Somehow. They got those little, they got those little wings on the side. And propellers. <laughs> yeah. And propellers, they <laughs> flap. Of course. Now, the last thing that happens in this episode is that Iris and Felix encounter some people in the forest, some mystery people. And one of them turns out as Will, Felix's boyfriend. Yeah, which I think is funny because they, the way it worked, the way it happened is uh, they run into or they see this group of people and then uh, an individual from this group of people starts walking towards them with their hood over their eyes so they can't see anything. Uh -huh. And then until he takes off his hood, he doesn't know who he's approaching. And he goes, oh my God, it's you. Right? It's like, fucking open your eyes, pal. You don't walk towards somebody with your hood. He's trying to be so dramatic yeah. that he is uh, unable to see who he's approaching until he's there. Uh, it just... It was, it was laughable. It, it's silly. I completely agree. There could have been a better way to do it. Um, but it was all done for the purposes of dramatic tension. You know, who is it? He, he could just start running from across the field yeah. and start, and start yelling his name kind of thing. And would be like, whoa, what the hell's that all about? And instead of being, uh, you know, a feigned attack, 
uh, it could it, it'd be a you know a lover's embrace. It, you know, yeah. Do it, it that way. That makes more sense. It could have been an ambush, right? Like the Will and his gang of people were ambushed them, and then like in the middle of the ambush, they suddenly realize, oh my god, it's us, and they stop. Right? Could have been done that yeah. way too. So, I get it. It was dramatic, but it was also dramatic, and you know, <laughs> yeah, it is a TV show. So sometimes that's okay. But it's Will. Uh, Will says he thought they were all dead. And uh, Felix asked, why? Why would you think we're dead? And his answer is, you don't know. We have a lot to catch up on. Dun, dun, dun. CRM helicopter flies overhead as we see the title, you know, of the show. And that's it. Season over. So uh, there you have it. Will and Felix reunited, which is fun. Hope and Iris separated. Huck double agent. Um, Elton optimistic. And Silas not a monster. And Percy hanging around. So this episode, Jason, I thought it was pretty good. I thought this was, was a really solid climax for what was an otherwise uh, really questionable season of TV. Yeah, I thought it, uh, this one was probably, I agree with you, that it's probably the best episode of the season. And and like by a fair bit, too, I think. Like I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but it was better. I... I I, I'm impressed that they managed to pull this off, you know, put, I'm impressed they were able to put together this episode after what we had kind of lean, leading up to it. And I know the last couple have been slowly getting better, but I think this was a major step up in quality. I thought, you know, the information as it was ultimately revealed to us was fun and exciting, great fight scene. I thought for some reason, I just think the performances by some of these actors was better in this episode than it has been all season long. Um, and, and I really like it. So I am kind of impressed. Now, having said that, you do have to still put all of the silliness and all of the poor decisions that they've made in the other nine episodes kind of out of your mind. But if you're able to do that, this wasn't so bad. Yes. Okay. I mean, yeah, I don't know if I'm able to do that. Well, I, I mean, and I understand an, that. Not everyone is, for sure. Yeah, you know, you do collectively if you if you take all the bad and all the good and then forget about the bad, then it's great. Well, I know. Right? It's the best thing ever. But you can't you can't forget about the bad. It's, you know, it's it's the whole thing. I agree. I fully agree with that. Um and I'm not saying you should do that, but you know, sometimes I feel like when we get to a point like this, and you look at the the completeness of the season, the season as a whole, sometimes it makes me feel like, you know what, maybe some of that bad stuff isn't as significant as I thought it was at the time. And here we are with this great episode. So it swings the scales a little bit more for me to the, the I liked this side of things. I, I, I'm not saying that's the case because overall, I think this was a pretty not so great season of TV with one good episode. And that's not a good record, right? It's not a good record. I, I, I will give you that this, uh, these two episodes weren't absolutely torturous to watch. Well, good. Finally. <laughs> and look, man, now that we, we know where we are with this show and we know these characters a little bit, we know what's going on. We have motivation for people now. Um, we don't have to worry as much about my God, these people have never killed a zombie. What the hell? Um, Maybe season two of this show and 
will be really good. And it will it will tie in and give us so much interesting information about the Civic Republic and their military and what they're doing. And then Rick Grimes will show up in the final episode next season of season two. I mean, maybe that's something to actually look forward to. You're such an optimist, Chris. That I know. It warms, it warms the cockles of my heart. <laughs> it's, if, if there's one thing I can do, it's warm your cockles, Jason. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it, it, it makes me, it makes me happy that you're such an optimist. I am not an optimist. I'm not even a pessimist per se. I'm a don't care that much assist. I mean, you're right uh, in the middle somewhere. Well, I'm not even a pest. I'm not even a, a realist. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like, uh, it's like Silas with the, with the barbecue. It falls over. You know, you could see that as a, you know, fire is cleansing. This could be a good thing or, mm-hmm. oh shit, I started a fire. Uh, that's a really bad thing. Or I just don't care. Like fire, <laughs> fuck it. I don't give a shit. And yeah. you forget about it. You turn around and you never think about it again. Yeah. Right. That's how, that's kind of how I am, uh, with this show. Okay. Well, that's fair. Uh, but I do think that if we, when we watch season two of this show and if it's all spectacular, I think you'll come around. You'll, you're, you're open to admitting that possibility. Absolutely. I am uh, 100% willing to admit that I have been wrong. <laughs> Excellent. And I've always been that way. You know, when I'm wrong, I'll admit it immediately and vehemently. I mean, that's a good quality to have as a human being, I think. If, I think more people need that quality. And, my, and I have the ability to have my mind changed or to change my mind. I'm, nobody can, can change my mind. I know for me. Mean. I know what you right? mean. Like, I can, exp- it's, it's kind of similar to the thing that I encounter at work. I can explain it to them, but I can't make them understand it. You know, and True. it's a big divide. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> let me try that again. I'm going to take it from a different angle. I'm going to explain it again. I can explain it to you, but I can't make you understand it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's a lot of factors involved in understanding. So <laughs> yeah, not everyone has, so, has that ability. <laughs> So you can't change my mind, but I do pride myself in the ability to change my mind when uh, it's warranted. Well, you're a fine and intelligent human being, so I applaud you for that. Well, I will agree to uh, a third of that statement. Okay. Well, I've got a few uh, messages from listeners here. Uh, This first one from Jamie in Surrey, England, kind of reinforcing my point about you know, all the silliness in the show, but he, he says, suddenly it's dropped in the last couple of episodes that Hope is really intelligent, forgetting her multiple poor decisions previously, i.e. luring a walker away from a treehouse whilst walking backwards and falling ass first into a swimming pool, and uh, thinking cruising through a burning field of tires full of walkers was a better option than going around absolute waste of time. I would rather go shopping with my wife for carpet samples than rewatch this absolute turd. Uh, oh, that so, sounds like an awful afternoon. So not a very <laughs> glowing review of the show from Jamie in England. Um, yeah. I mean, he's unable to put all the silliness and dumb stuff out of his mind, uh, which, you know, you kind of have to. So well, a couple of things there. Yeah. Uh, one is, uh, I understand your pain. When I go to Home Depot with my wife and she says, I want to go look at pain samples. I'm like, I'll wander the store for an hour and pick you up later. I was in a, uh, another, um, like home store similar to that with you two once I experienced that and <laughs> I, no, no offense to you and your family, but I don't want to go shopping with your wife. <laughs> oh God. Uh, 
Uh, I'm just going to move on. Let's move on. So the other <laughs> thing is, uh, damn it, I forgot the other thing. What was his email about again? Uh, <laughs> try to pay attention. Um, the the poor decisions Hope made uh, all throughout the season, and then suddenly it's revealed oh, that right. she's super intelligent. That uh, yes, yeah, so I like to think of that as the absent-minded professor type, right? Uh, whereas somebody is super intelligent, but is unable to remember or do things in an intelligent way. Uh, and I'll give you an example. I used to teach uh, relational database design at uh, a college in Toronto, uh, just evenings, right? Uh, I'm not accredited for this, <laughs> but I was teaching relational database design. And uh, for a long time, I had a hard time telling my right from my left without having my watch on. Like if I had my watch on, I knew it was on my left hand. So I'd make, you know, uh, we're talking about uh, left and right joins in relational database. Uh, right. So I was talking about the left and the right joins and I was, uh, I, and I'd be sitting down and I can't wear my watch when I'm sitting down. It bothers me. It knocks against the table. So I take my watch off when I'm sitting down. And what does this mean? I can't tell my right from my left when I'm sitting down. So <laughs> okay, I went through and explained that to my class one day because I got left and right wrong. Uh, and so I like to think of it as the absent-minded professor rather than complete fucking idiot. <laughs> and this is, you know, obviously it is my, uh, you know, uh, it's, I have to think of it that way because I can't really think of myself as a complete fucking idiot on a regular basis. So, uh, what I'm saying is that somebody can be hyper intelligent or extremely intelligent and make some goddamn bad decisions. Sure. And it's perfectly normal. And it happens to everybody, I think. And it happens to everybody. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, that's a weird story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, it's a good story, but it says some weird things about you. But anyway. It really does. And it, here's the weirdest thing is I don't wear a watch anymore. And you're fine. But, but I've also had a son and I'm trying to teach him right from left. So as a, as a result, I'm much better at it. Very good. Now. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. All right. I've grown as a person. Uh, it's wonderful. Let's yeah. listen to a call from Gray. Evening, chaps. It's Gray over in Bournemouth in England again. Um, and I've just watched the two-part season finale of Well Beyond. I don't know how I feel about it. It's the first time I think I've come to a season finale of any Walking Dead show and gone... I don't really care what's going to happen next. I think maybe in my head, perhaps like you guys had, I'd expected some big reveal that linked a few things in this week. When the guys walked out of the forest at the end, I was expecting it to be Heath under the hood or, or something. I don't know. Got to the end and I just felt there's another season of this. I'm going to watch it because it's Walking Dead. But considering we're now on the sort of three-month hiatus, I don't know. I just wanted something a bit more to keep me excited until February. Anyway, that's my thoughts. I did enjoy things this season. I thought Silas was a pretty good character. I thought Tony was great, actually, exactly what the show needed, and then killed off within an episode. Uh, I really enjoyed Elton. Weirdly reminds me of me at that age. But overall. I'm still going with damp squid, which is what I meant to say last time. 
not dead squib. <laughs> anyway, keep up the good work, guys. Take care. Bye. Thank you, Gray. Um, so, you know, I about Silas, I agree. I, that was a character I wasn't into at all near the beginning, but turned out to be all right. Mm-hmm. Same goes for Elton, uh, you know. Uh, and that's interesting because the, the two girls, Hope and Iris, I don't think I was ever really that excited about as characters. I guess it's sort of interesting now that we know what what Hope's deal is, or at least what the CRM thinks her deal is. Um, but boy, Iris, no interest there. If she just was written off the show, I don't think I'd even notice. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, there you go. As, as I've already said, I'm way more optimistic about season two. Gray, not so much, but I appreciate the call. I appreciate it too. Yeah. And he said, damn squib again. Oh, that's right. That was the other thing. But before he said dead, and I think it's funny because we had a whole thing about that or you had a whole thing about that phrase and what it is. And he actually got it wrong. <laughs> That's okay. That's yeah, all good. That's all fine. good. We figured it out now. It's just one of those things where you hear it. Like it's only been like a month since I've heard that phrase and I, you'd start hearing it everywhere. Yeah. That's <laughs> funny. One more email here from Andy in the UK. And he writes, what the hell happened to world beyond? Those last two episodes seem like they were made by a completely different group of people. The director seemed to know how to direct. The writers wrote a decent script. The actors actually acted. My mind is blown. I can't remember ever seeing a show so bad and so well. Or maybe it was just so bad previously that the last two episodes were just average, but felt spectacular (laughs) by comparison. Hmm. I think that's, that's kind of indicative of the entire Walking Dead television franchise is that uh, consistency is not its friend. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to have the ability to be consistently good across the board or even consistently bad. It's kind of all over the place. Uh, You're right. And, you know, some shows more than others, but um, yeah, they're, they're not afflicted with the curse of consistency. In World Beyond, we've had one season which had some really bad stuff and then a good finale. In Fear, we've had six seasons. Um, we've had more good than bad on Fear uh, because season one, two, and especially three were good. Three was actually quite good. Um, four started okay, ended poorly. Five was some of the worst stuff we've ever seen in the walking dead universe. I would argue worse than much of what we saw on world beyond season five of fear. I'd agree with that. And then season six was actually so far really, really great. So fear, fears all over the place. Walking dead, the main show is probably the most consistent of all of them, right? We had two seasons that weren't so great out of 10 and those other eight in the 10 had their ups and downs, but were fairly consistent, I'd say. That's 20% bad. I know. I'm not saying that's that's an acceptable number, but yeah. like two seasons, and again, I don't even call them bad. I think they weren't as good. I mean- They had some problems. They had some problems, but seasons uh, nine and 10 of The Walking Dead were really good, in my opinion. One, two, three, you know, four. I know if you go back, we probably complained about season two being slow and they spent so long looking for uh, Sophia. 
that paid off though. It paid off so hard that it that made that plot line better, right? Yeah. Yeah. So seasons one, two, three, four, five, pretty much of Walking Dead were good seasons. Six was okay. And that's where it dropped off a cliff for <laughs> a lot of people. We had the Hyundai commercial. We had the governor, uh, you know, attacking the military people with the bodies falling. And did I make up the doves or did, were they real? <laughs> Cause I haven't gone back and watched anything, but it was in slow motion and there was people falling. And then, uh, I think in my mind there was doves being released a la, uh, you know, mission impossible Two. Uh. Where, anyway, I can't remember the doves right now, but you're, I mean, there's, there was dumpster gate too. There was. Oh yeah. The dumpster, there's the dumpster, there's the, uh, the magic tiger that was able to climb walls and attack people, uh, <laughs> silently. These are just moments though. There's just incidents, little blemishes on an otherwise quality string of seasons, right? Now, didn't Daryl blow up a lake with a fucking rocket launcher it was full of gasoline or something so we lit the lake on fire yeah yeah okay i mean it, someday you when, take that yeah and and you um let's compare it to uh we're kind of getting off on a weird tangent here and i'm gonna bring it back to lost right you compare uh you know the consistency of lost lost had some issue issues like look at the whole nikki and paolo bullshit right Right. Uh, that was a that was a big miss on their part. But overall, that was a consistently good show. Look at Breaking Bad, a consistently good show. Look at Better Call Saul, a consistently good show. One of the best shows uh, on TV right now, or maybe ever. Better Call Saul. Right. Yep. But then you look at uh, but then you look at Game of Thrones, a consistently good show until it wasn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So, uh, I think that uh, The Walking Dead. Still has trouble with consistency. It's okay. better than fear and it's better than, uh, you know, the world beyond, but there's still some consistently issue, consistency issues, you know, okay. uh, you know, constantly good quality writing, good quality cinematography, good quality acting. It's not there. It's not consistent. Every one of those things, uh, has had troubles, ups and downs. And, you know, basically when you roll the dice at the beginning of an episode, you never know what you're going to get. I think that, um, you're correct on just about everything except one thing. I think the acting on Walking Dead has never been a problem. Not from the main actors, no. Definitely not from, not from the main yeah, actors. Okay. So I'll I'll grant you that. Um, but I, I see your point. Uh, I just think that still overall on The Walking Dead, the the good the needle swings to the good a lot more than it does to the bad, which you know, you're right. That can happen all in one episode, but I that still makes me feel good about it all that it's that yeah. it's still way better than it is or way better most of the time than it's you know than it's bad <laughs> you're such I mean. an optimist i know optimist so well, nice that's okay <laughs> um anyways andy in the uk had one more bit in his message here he said anyway if you happen to read this out on the podcast i'd like to wish all the fellow listeners a very merry christmas and happy new year so it's only December 1st, but you know, we're rolling into the, into the <laughs> holiday season, I guess. And I thought I would include that as well. So thank well, you, nice. Andy. Yeah. Yes. That's right. Now that's going to bring us to the end of this podcast, Jason. But just before we go, uh, I actually have a couple more messages from people, which, um, segue from Andy's message quite nicely. Uh, this 
comes, well, here's the message. Every one of your fantastic podcasts kept us sane during a very strange 2020. You guys are awesome. From your favorite listeners, Lisa and Richard. And on the email that uh, they sent with this was a little Christmas illustration uh, that, you know, was just for us. Sort of a Merry Christmas thing. So I just wanted to say thank you, Lisa and Richard. Uh, You know, it was really, really nice to receive that. I can honestly say that uh, doing this podcast and knowing there are people out there like you listening that's helped keep us sane as well, I think, during 2020, because it has been a pretty bonkers year, I think. Oh, yeah. Fuck this year in particular. We can all agree on that. Absolutely. (laughs) So, you know, just thank you for that note. It really means a lot. And just having his listeners is great as it is having everyone as listeners. A huge thanks to everybody. Um, now that we've kind of wrapped up our, you know, new Walking Dead content for for 2020. And we've only hmm. got 31 more days to go in this dumpster fire of a year. Uh, I thought you were going to say 31 more podcasts. <laughs> 31 <laughs> for more. For this year. Yeah. We podcast a, every day for one, the rest of the year. One a day. We're not doing that. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> Uh, So thank you so much, you guys, for sending that in. Uh, Bill in New Jersey wrote, I've been listening to you guys weekly, and I really am grateful that you've kept the podcast going. I've been isolated for most of the lockdown, haven't seen much of family or friends, and listening to you two has really, really helped me get through the past few months. Thank you so much, Bill. I am delighted to hear that our little show that we got going on here, you know, provides you some comfort again in this crazy year. Uh, and, and hopefully there's other people out there that get the same thing out of it because, uh, that's, you know, wonderful. And I'm glad that we can do something like that to, to help a few people out there. Cause at the end of the day, we just sit here talking about a TV show for an hour or whatever every week. And, uh, there's more to it than that. I think it sounds like for some. Yeah. And I know doing the podcast has helped keep me sane in this, uh, this messed up year. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's other podcasts out there that I listen to on a regular basis that, uh, you know, I, I stand there on Saturday afternoon going, where's my episode? Where's my episode? <laughs> Keep hitting refresh on my podcast app, trying to get the, will the episode to come down the feed? Yeah. Uh, and it's important. And, uh, that's film sack, by the way, in case anybody wants to go and check them out, go check them out. One of my favorites. They've been going for, uh, for years. Yeah. 10 years, same as us. Wow. They're, uh, they're not quite at the same number we are. I think they're at 480 or something like that, but they've been going for uh, just about the same length of time as us. Amazing. So, yeah. Great podcast. Um, yeah. So thanks everybody for, uh, uh, for, for being there because, uh, if, without, without listeners, we're just two guys talking on the internet. That's right. I think, um, that's the, one of the things about, or the thing I miss most about, working from home, which I've been doing since March, more or less, as a lot of people have. Um, and I, 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 I realize, you know, that I'm very lucky that I'm able to do that, you know, keep my job because it was tenuous there for a little while with the line yeah. of business that I'm in. Um, but, uh, one of the things I miss most about it is having the time riding the bus or occasionally driving to the office and listening to other shows. And I just don't get that time anymore because I get out of bed and I can be at my desk in 20 seconds. <laughs> you should go for a run, Chris. Oh, well, I don't run, but I should do something. Um, <laughs> I, I yeah. have kind of created a bit more of a morning routine now, but it took a long time. I, I didn't listen to a lot of shows for a long time because I just didn't have that sitting on the bus time that I used to. So 
uh, podcasts are important. At least they are to me. And they are. And I think it sounds like to a lot of people. So anyways, thank you so much, everyone, for being with us throughout World Beyond, throughout Fear, obviously the season 10 Walking Dead finale. And um, we will be recording probably at least once more time before the, uh, before the end of 2020. About what? I'm not sure. We have to figure that out exactly when I'm also not sure. Um, but we will likely take uh, next week off unless there's some big news or something like that. You know, we'll have an emergency podcast to cover the news if, <laughs> if we need to. Emergency podcast about TV. That sounds like fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but if you are, you know, if you're hankering for more of me anyways, I would highly recommend you go check out the other show I'm contributing to right now. It's about the Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. So if you're watching Mando and you want to hear some guys on the internet talk about that, you can do that. There's a few episodes of that show still to come. So we'll be, there'll be definitely three more weeks of that. Uh, but you can get caught up from the beginning if you want. You can go to podcastica.com. And the show is actually called House Podcastica, The Mandalorian Edition. Um, because my friend, my other friend, Jason, who, uh, who, you know, we've done crossovers mm -hmm. with him before, of course, about the walking dead. Um, he covers various shows on that same feed. So check that out. Podcastica.com for, to hear me talk about the Mandalorian. Uh, if you're watching it, that's a show that's been pretty solid for season two. So I recommend it. Uh, but other than that, yeah, we won't be gone too long. We will find something to chat about as we get into the holiday season and beyond. And then, of course, in the new year, we'll be getting ready and ramping up for the return of The Walking Dead with season 10.5. That'll be exciting on February the 28th. Awesome. All right. Well, in the meantime, everyone, uh, if you want to get in touch, by all means, check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the talking dead. Visit our website at TalkingDeadPodcast.com where you can click on send voicemail at the top if you'd like to record a message for us. You can also do so by just recording it into your phone and then emailing that uh, audio file in. That is a great way to do it. And you can send those emails and all other communications to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. That's going to do it for this one, everyone. We will be back soon. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.